Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got Mark Schindler joining the podcast. Um, always great to have Mark on. A lot of people listening probably already know Mark and his work for Basketball News. Uh, you do some work for Fear of the Sword, which is the Cavs SB Nation as well. And then uh, I think initially was a Pacers cover primarily, right? Because you do the Indy Cornrows um, podcast as well. All over the place. Great a little bit, yeah. Mark, um, I appreciate you coming on, though, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Um, I always keep up with with you and Bryant when you have stuff coming out. So uh, I know you've been uh, turning yourself into somewhat of a star uh, over in Sacramento now, too. Um, so yeah, man, that I'm one to link up a little bit. Yeah, man, it's uh, good to have you on for sure. And you know, trade season is is picking up. Um, I don't know that. I guess with the reddish deal, we're in trade season at this point. I guess. I think that was, uh, well, technically since the bull deal got um, voided, um, I guess. That's the, is that the first trade then? Um, there was some minor. There, there some, yeah, some, some small before then. But regardless, we're like a month yeah. out from tr- the trade deadline. So, yes, we are, we are officially in trade season. Yes. And Indiana is, was actually maybe the first team that was mentioned if, if we want to talk like when – the first reporting sort of started was this Shams and Bob Kravitz piece that was in early December, actually um, about this, like potentially moving to rebuild. But before I get into kind of the reporting that we've seen recently um, at at that point, Indiana was obviously already struggling and they've struggled throughout this entire season. I, I think, I mean, a lot more than than people have expected, obviously, bringing Rick Carlisle in. Um, I've seen you throw things out about it being a pretty frustrating watch at times this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I know it's very vague. Take it whatever direction you really want. Um, but to give the Kings listeners a rundown that probably don't have a great idea of Indiana's 15 and 27 season, like, holy shit, seeing them 13 in the Eastern Conference is crazy. Yeah. Um, what's gone wrong this year? Yeah, so they are, I think they have the fifth worst record in the NBA right now. Like they are only two games up on OKC, which is like uh, part of that is OKC being better than I think a lot of people expected, but also Indiana just really hasn't been good. Um, I think we had a point probably two weeks ago where, um, you know, you could have, it was starting to hit the point where it's like, okay, well, this team, yeah. Um, they've definitely been through the ringer there. There was a lot of stuff that was really frustrating too, and not to like, just make this about myself, but some of the stuff that was frustrating earlier in the year, um, like this team was just very clearly not gelling together. You could see a lot of things going wrong. Execution was poor. Luck certainly hasn't been on their side. Um, and a lot of, you know, just people who maybe aren't watching the games as often were, uh, bringing up luck often saying, you know, all oh, this team will turn things around. I'm like, dude, no, trust me. <laughs> you got to watch this. Cause this is, there's just stuff going on. That's weird. It's been like that the whole year, but things have finally caved over the last 10 games. They're, they're two and eight over their last 10, six and 13 since December. Uh, this is just a bad basketball team. Um, they keep saying after games, you know, like, uh, we still have a lot of season left, but, Okay, well, you have to essentially do what the Miami Heat did, and I think I think it was 2015-16 when they um, reversed their record completely. Uh, like that just doesn't happen. I think that's the the one documented time it has happened. That team had more talent, frankly, and um, a lot more going for it than than what this Pacers team does right now. Um, I guess to segment it better, I mean they they started off with injuries, obviously. Uh, I mean Karis LeVert missed time. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, neither Turner or, or Sabonis has really missed much time. They've kind of been under just for whatever reason, uh, as much as people have wanted to separate them, they cannot get separated on the court, it seems, uh, which is rather uh, it's kind of funny. But um, obviously, I mean, yeah, TJ Warren is still out, um, has not played a game yet. Uh, the extremely TBD is the best way I can put on it. Um Everything that always comes back is the first two sentences are great, and then you get a will be reevaluated in in you know a couple of weeks, and it just seems like that's the same story time and time again. Um, I, I don't. <laughs> there just never was really a point where it looked like this team was going to figure things out, and uh, it's it's just kind of at the point now where I don't think they can wait till the trade deadline to make a move. Uh, because of things that I'm sure we'll talk about shortly 
that have started to surface that have been uh, not awesome, uh, you know, in terms of just um, players being upset with their role and rightfully so to a degree. Um, but yeah, it has been a uh, kind of the season from hell for Indiana and uh, where, especially given expectations, because just in case, you know, for, for Sacramento fans, like I think Indiana's expectations coming in the year for me were to make the, I mean, certainly make the playoffs. Like I thought their, their main goal would be to, be outside the play-in, um, like to actually be, you know, make six seed or higher. Um, I didn't think it was super attainable. I think they needed some things to go right their way, but also like, okay, that's your organizational goal. Clearly, if you're bringing in Rick Carlisle, you're bringing back the same group, you're making free agency signings with the goal of um, competing this year, and it just has not gone that way. Yeah, it's always funny to hear these uh, underperforming seasons from other teams with understandably high expectations like I, I think the Celtics kind of fall into a somewhat similar category mm -hmm. and uh to hear it kind of laid out and I'm like man this is a typical king season to me I don't know what's going on over here um is there anything that stands out to you as like something you feel like has been a big takeaway when it comes to team building uh, as part of the reason that this team has struggled this year like um yeah, I mean, obtaining Carlisle specifically, like I know that the coaching situation previously has kind of been in flux and complicated in its own right as well. But like, is there any standout to you as just general team building that you feel like you've been able to take away from the recent struggles or even years prior of success and what's changed since? Yeah, um, well, that's a great question. Uh, I think a couple of things. Um, I think the human element is something that has really factored in this year um, in a way. I mean, like that sounds very cliche, but um, I think, you know, in looking in prior years, like I mean, Miles and Domas have always been, I mean, this is their third year starting together. Um, and they've always been, it's always been a, it's always been painted as a, as a poor thing by the organization. More like instead of it being viewed as an asset, it's always been viewed as a, well, this is something that we just have to work around, which even if that is the case, which I do think it is the case for the most part, like you can't project it that way because a, that looks really bad to your players. If you're making it seem like they're an obstacle rather than an asset. Um, and, and you, and, and the org was putting that out rather than the like org has media. consistently put that out. They've always okay. talked about it as being an obstacle or something weird that they have to build around and, or, or figure out. Um, and like, that's just a weird thing to do. And, and that felt that filters into the next part too. Um, Part of what's really difficult with this team is that um, like they were never really founded with the idea of being a competitive team to a degree. Like, cause if you go back um, when this team was really assembled or at least the, the core pieces were put into place, uh, it, it was the year after Victor Oladipo broke out because that trade was made for Paul George, that team. I, I mean, I don't know if you remember that Pacers team was expected to finish like where they are right now, like 13th or 14th in the East. I think they were projected to to win 32 games that season. Um, and they won 48. A lot of that because Victor and Domas were both fantastic compared to expectations. And a lot of guys in that roster just overperformed. And then they kind of just tried to do this rebuild on the fly. And it was looking great because Victor was a you know second team all NBA player. Um, obviously, injuries, you know, erased that unfortunately for him. Um and that kind of changed things up. They still were competitive-ish, you know, depending on how you want to view it. I think they were – I would consider them competitive. Obviously, last year was a change-up from that. Um, but, like, just looking at everything up and down, they've never really established a hierarchy, and especially, too, the messaging from the, the front office has never been – even when Victor was, you know, playing at a star level, they never called him a star. Same thing with the modest bonus. They've been extremely hesitant to call anyone a star – um, and I get it to a degree. Like, I, I think, you know, you, you want to preach a mentality of, uh, you know, we're, a, um, we're an organization that's founded on a lot of really good players, but the way that they frame it is, uh, is questionable. I think, I think that finally came through for people outside of Indiana when they saw Kevin Pritchard's comments, uh, in that story. Um, and I don't mean that as a slight at KP, like I get it, um, Demonis' bonus is not the player you want to build around. Like he's not a superstar, but he is a star player by definition. Like he's a very good basketball player. He's a multi-time All-Star. Um, 
So to me, even if you don't um, view him as the player you want to build your organization around, which I think that would be the right thing to say and, and or the right thing to do. Like, you know, he's somebody who you want on your team, but not somebody you want to build your team around necessarily. Um, but like, you can't portray that publicly. Like you can't just come out and, you know, refuse to publicly brand somebody as the face of your team, because as we've seen kind of spill it onto the court, like there is not really a vocal leader on the team. And I think some of that can be overblown, but to a degree too, like you have to have somebody who is kind of the accountable person or who really uh, is the face of the team, because by all accounts, everything that's gone on in the locker room is it's not that they don't like each other, but it's a lot of guys who just feel that they're all on the same playing field, same level. Um, so it just ends up with like, okay, you have a lot of guys who think they should be the best player on the team. And that's not how it works. Like you can't have that. Um, and it really has has backfired in a lot of ways now that, I mean, especially too with Domas coming up the way that he did, like he went from running the bench for, for two years to becoming a starter and then becoming an all-star. And that's kind of pushed miles backwards to a degree. I mean, his career is kind of stagnated. Like I think just in terms of looking offensively, like defensively, he really improved a ton. I don't think you can take that away from him. Um, but again, just, you know, those opportunities became fewer and far between for him. And that's, you know, led into where we're at now. But um, I think those are those are the biggest takeaways. And then one other quick one is uh, if your coaching staff does not have the uh, the same view of a player as as maybe a player does or, or what their optimal role is, that matters a lot because that is factored in heavily this year. Um this team has been extremely uh, like aggressively about playing five out basketball, which I get. That's great. They do not have the personnel to play five out. Like they never, almost never get guarded. Like they're playing five out. Like they'll, you know, pop Sabonis instead of having him roll. They've gotten, a, I mean, more of just because of uh, how many guys were in health and safety protocols. They got better at moving him towards the middle of the floor, using him more as a roll man, which I mean, his post-up numbers were way down earlier this year his role numbers were down earlier this year they were spacing the corner a lot spacing in the slot and i mean i could just send you screenshots that i have of him being you know given 12 feet of space because they don't they don't give a shit like he's not a shooter to that level at least not enough for, for the defense to care same thing like tory craig is not shot well he doesn't often get guarded like a, a shooter um the team is 28th and three-point shooting right now and it's not for lack of trying i think they're top 10 or 12 in attempts right now um, but those shots just don't fall. And part of it is like, I'm sure people will bring up luck too. Like that, that definitely factors in, but it just, they're, they're not a good shooting team right now. Um, so it, just in regards to Sabonis, like, I don't mean to make it totally about him, but, um, you know, going from, I think you could make a case that he was at times overused, uh, last year under Bjorkman's system, but it's not about like being a ball hog. It's more about, you know, running your offense through him to a degree. And this team needs it because they don't have guys like uh, Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halbert who can create from the perimeter like that. And even, I mean, you've seen with Tyrese, like he's not a standstill creator. Like he needs screens to really get downhill and get moving. Um, and now this year you see a total shift and under-reliance on um, getting something going for your perimeter creators by just trying to force five out. But the defense isn't defending you like that because they don't care about it. So um, that's been another thing that's factored into. It's just always felt like Rick Carlisle is coaching for, um, to, to quote Caitlin Cooper, my colleague, uh, it feels like Rick Carlisle is coaching the roster that he wants instead of the roster that he has. And, uh, that's, uh, that's something that I think is not something that you would uh, project out on paper or in thought before the season started. I might have to steal that wording from Caitlin. That is a great one. I, I feel it like gentry, gentry sometimes yeah, does the same. The yeah. Yeah. Um, shout out to Caitlin, by the way. Does great work with you as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time. Thanks thanks for that rundown. I, I think that's really helpful for myself and, and for all the listeners that probably don't have a great knowledge on Indiana and what's gone wrong this season. I'm going to spend a second kind of reading the quotes of some of this reporting. Um, yeah, kind of going to be me talking for a moment here but i think it's important to kind of get through all the reporting that we've seen recently surrounding this team before we start to have conversations about potential moves and ways to optimize or or just kind of move forward and uh maybe some of your thoughts about uh yeah guys wanting bigger roles and things like that so mm -hmm. 
from the initial reporting, which is Shams and uh, Bob Kravitz, it, it was uh, back on December 7th. It's just multiple sources said the Pacers are receptive in trade dialogue with rival teams centered on potentially moving guard Karis LeVert and either two-time All-Star DeMontis Savonis or center Miles Turner. All three players have frequently garnered significant interest from rival teams um, and continued to say that the Pacers are moving towards opening further playing time for Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Um, and this idea of kind of wanting to give the youth a little bit more opportunity. Um, and yeah, then you move on to, I think that was kind of the baseline of that piece, um, just that they were willing to kind of, that they were willing to get younger, right? And the ownership was finally okay with going through that a little bit when previously the idea was that um, they wanted to remain as competitive as possible. But I know that they mentioned in that piece being dead last in attendance was a factor, um, which which there's a lot of Sacramento's attendance has been really down this year, which part of that is due to the on-court product. But I think a lot of the um, obviously COVID circumstances and things like that as well have, have led to different circumstances or have been factors in that as well. Um, but then you move on to the Jared Weiss piece that came out then two days later on December 9th. And I think this is where things start to get really interesting. This focused around uh, Miles Turner wanting a more expanded role in the offense. And um, first quote I have here is from Miles Turner, uh, quote, it's clear that I'm not valued as anything more than a glorified role player here. And I want something more, more opportunity. Turner told the athletic Tuesday, I'm trying really hard to make the role that I'm given here work and find a way to maximize it. I've been trying the past two, three seasons, but it's clear to me that just numbers wise, I'm not valued as more than a rotational role player. And I hold myself in a higher regard than that. Um, go a little further. It's again, Turner quote, I've been giving many roles in the years that I've been here. And I feel like I've been able to produce at a high level in the roles I've been given. I've shown that I can do the things they ask me to do. And I think it's time to put that all together and, be a more prominent night in night out guy on the offensive side of the ball instead of someone who was asked to be a force floor spacer and hide in the shadows. I had a fuck it mindset that night talking about his 40 point game that every time I would touch it, I wanted to be as aggressive as possible. It worked out when you're hitting shots because everything looked good. Then the night after that, I had a down night because I didn't feel the same flow within the offense. It felt like, okay, you had the 40 point game. Now let's go back to the status quo. Um, continue when you show little tidbits and tastes of how you can play. You see the potential in that. I hate that in year seven, you're labeled as a finished product. And I want to show that I'm not a finished product. I'm just scratching the surface and I want to show that I'm ready to take the next step. The potential I've shown this season, I think I'm ready to turn into a more intricate and prominent role on a nightly basis. Carlisle responds by saying, quote, he's a very consistent person and he's a very good system player. I don't put a lot into his scoring numbers. He's a guy that has a big influence on winning, whether he scores or not. So I think it sounds like the 40-point game kind of skewed what the day-to-day -day expectations are. It just doesn't seem to me that that should be the case, but he played great in that game. And back to Turner, uh, quote, I've settled for being just a floor spacer who runs up and down and sits in the corner all game and isn't active because I thought I was doing what was best at the time. I wasn't looking out for myself and was looking out for the team, but I realized that looking out for myself in turn is looking out for the team. So I flipped my mindset going forward. Um, interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just prepping for this <laughs> and really diving into the wording that you saw from Carlisle and um, there's things from Pritchard as well that, that you were kind of alluding to earlier. It, it was, I was surprised to kind of see the bluntness from the organization and uh, big figures within the organization. What do you make of, of this whole Turner feeling like he has a greater potential on the offensive end? I know some of it has to do with cutting or maybe being able to attack closeouts at, at times. Where do you, how valid do you feel um, it is for Turner to say that there is so much more potential to his offensive game. And, and where do you see that potential if you, if you do? Well, it's, um, this is what's so tough with it, man. Um, to a degree, I really do. Um, I understand where miles is coming from. Um, 
you know, I you're in a group chat that I was I was bringing this up with. Uh, like this is on Indiana to a degree. Um, like, like, like we mentioned, um, you know, earlier in, in, in talking about Domas coming up and how that has changed things. And that's not on Domas. It's just, this is just on the organization. I think this feels similarly to the Simmons and Bede situation where this has just been a thing for a couple of years. Like it's been there. You can feel it. There's some tension. It's not that they don't like each other. Um, I imagine there's, there's definitely some stuff there now. Uh, that makes me wonder. Um, like for instance, yesterday there was a point where uh, like Domas went up to Miles in between plays uh, because he hadn't gotten the ball and was like apologizing for it. And and I, this is not meant as like an attack on, on Miles the character or anything. We like smacked Domas's hand away and walked off. Like that's been that's been a, a regular thing the last like week or two. Um, so point being, like this is this is boiling over and it's not Oof. great. Yeah. Um, so I point to to the organization. I think a lot of people will either you know back up and, and try and defend miles which i get or point at um you know point at miles himself and say this is on him and I, I don't think that he's handling himself great if we're being honest but also you know like th- this goes back to when paul george was traded and larry bird came out in as a way to try and calm down how people were feeling about paul came out and said that he thinks miles turner is going to be a hall of famer someday that he could be the greatest pacer that's ever played, including Reggie Miller. Um, and I believe that was either in his rookie year or second year. And he put, I mean, miles was the 13th pick. He's by all accounts, in my opinion, like I think he has exceeded expectations as, as a 13th pick um, and what he was expected coming in, like becoming a, a, a you know, a borderline all defense player um, and, and expanding as he, ha- as he has just his game overall, being a legitimate starter, his entire career, um, but putting that level of expectations on a guy is insane. And I think that's really skewed a fan expectations, B, maybe even Miles' own expectations to a degree, because in looking at his offense, um, like it's just hard because he's not really somebody that you can necessarily run offense through. Like um, you could try and get him more post-ups. And I do think he's capable of attacking mismatches in the post at times, but he's not a great post player. Like he, um, has a pretty like uh, like he's a pretty rigid athlete like he is very athletic in in certain areas but um, core strength and uh, being able to get low in the post and, and use his lower body is not one of them like uh, he's shown a real capability to attack off drives now like that's really expanded over the last year and a half um, but that comes out of his shooting like if he's not um, you know, if he's not shooting, if he's not aggressively uh, trying to get his shot in the flow of the offense, those opportunities for him to attack off the bounce aren't going to be there. Um, and because like, I mean, part of it's hard too, because um, the guards have been awful, like absolutely terrible, like almost allergic at times to, to throwing post-entry passes, to both him or Domas when they're wide open on cuts uh, or, you know, sealing like a, like a guard in the post, like the guards have been terrible at finding those passes. So that's, that's a part of frustration I see. Um, but also again, it's just, there have been times even this year where miles has been passive and hasn't looked to get his shots in the flow of the offense. And is kind of like, like there are moments where he'll be spaced in the corner, but he has opportunities to cut in or he has opportunities to relocate and, 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 and seek out shots. And he doesn't. And I, I, I think calling calling him a system player definitely came off harsh from Rick Carlisle, but he's not wrong. Like he is a guy who has to flow within the offense. And um, I, I just don't really know quite where miles is is thinking um, he's going to get more offense from um, because I don't know what team is going to give that to him. Um, I actually think like, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine his comments have turned some teams off because they want him to come in and be an all defense caliber player who works in the offense would like he's done the last two years. And um, he's been really good at really right? damn good at it. And uh, so that's, what's so frustrating. And I think like, again, this, this comes more down to, I get his frustrations because the organization, in my opinion, has really um, not done him any favors as a player. Um, like they've dangled him in trade rumors almost his entire career. They've been very open about it. That's one of the things I can't stand about them. Like they, they think that it's uh, this big loyalty thing for them to always tell their players that they're in trade talks. 
okay, well, when you do this for five years straight, what kind of loyalty are you actually showing a guy? If you consistently are acting like they are not part of your long-term plans or you would be better off without them, why would they feel like they want, like they're actually wanted in Indiana? Um, so I understand why Miles was soured on the organization. Um, not in terms of growing his offensive role, um, but I think in terms of maybe going somewhere where he could get a bigger spotlight, I get that. I just don't think it's going to come with a bigger role um, or that it could like maybe I, I honestly think if if he's going to see offensive growth it's through doing the things that he established last year and building more on them. And, and, you know, instead of taking four threes a game, like finding ways, okay, can you become more of a movement shooter? Can you do stuff off screens? He's toyed with it a little bit this year, earlier in the year, not as much lately, but um, can you be somebody who comes off a pin down? Can you, can you be somebody who's taking more contested jumpers because he does have that really high release point? Um, I think there are more opportunities for him, but it's through doing the things that he's already done. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that uh, the Kings already have a handful of guys. Like I, I think that the fan base probably when they hear somebody that wants an expanded role or, or thinks of themselves is maybe higher than what better than what they've been given the opportunity to show. Uh, could be a little frightening or I guess triggering like yeah. Willie Cully Stein talking about that. He's the next unicorn, uh, next Christoph Zingas. Yeah. yeah. Or Marvin Bagley. Um, I, I think, I don't know if buddy falls into that, but buddy obviously um, is, has been in trade talks. I, I think kind of in a somewhat similar situation. So I understand why that would be um, a little bit frightening or worrying to some teams. And specifically, like if you want to talk about, the fan base of Sacramento, I could see why that's concerning, but the role that Miles Turner does play for a team that is just absolutely horrific at um, protecting the rim, I, I and also has not given, this has kind of been my whole thing recently, is a lot of people were coming for Fox, and it, it's like, well, maybe if they actually tried to optimize him, that mm -hmm. this would look a lot different. And I think that, giving him proper rim protection and floor spacing is probably the primary things in my mind that would help De'Aaron on that end. Um, and I, I think that Miles Turner obviously checks those boxes. Um, really quickly um, on, on what he does well, um, when it comes to his three-point shooting, you know, it's not as great, I think, as some people maybe talk it up to be, but um, you you would know better than I. Like, he's still respected and, and has a gravity from the perimeter right uh so it's it's tough because he had a really nice streak like he started the year he did not shoot very well um in november um i mean october he did he shot like pretty averagely like 33 percent in october november incredibly hot from the field shot really well uh for yeah 42 percent november and he shot about 27 percent uh from december onwards he's been in a real slump especially um, to get January started, he has hit three threes in January and it has not been for lack of trying, which has been good. Like he hasn't been, um, gun shy. There have been moments, uh, in December where he definitely was like, you know, not looking to take some threes that were afforded to him. But, they, but again, like that's part of the problem. Like, I think like he, uh, he could be taking seven or eight threes a game easily. And I like, he just doesn't always feel comfortable as a shooter at times, um, especially once he gets into a, a little bit of a slump like this. But um, I do think he's a better shooter than obviously, you know, 27%. I think he's more of like, like we're seeing right now, like on volume, I think he's more like a 34, 35% shooter. But I think getting that consistent gravity is going to come by continuing to take a higher volume and being confident in it. Um, so, you know, it's just seeing him do that. I'm not really as worried about that. Um, and just one last thing too, like, I, I do think, uh, and this is, this is my own opinion, but, um, in regards to, you know, seeking out a bigger role in his comments, it really does feel to me like, I think if he just was, um, maybe highlighted more by, you know, the, by an organization to really amp them up and talk about them as a player, I do think miles would be comfortable with a similar role in another organization, especially if they were winning, you know, I, um, which that maybe doesn't help with Sacramento. You didn't have to but, add that last part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I really, like, honestly, like, I do think if there was a place that really bought into him and, and made it clear that they were. And, um, and, and trading for a player kind of expresses that. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just more about to me how things have run its course in Indiana than um, him necessarily thinking he's going to be a 20 point per game scorer. Um, but that's just my own thoughts. I don't know that you, maybe, maybe that aligns with him, but, but we'll see on that. But, um, but I do think like his gravity isn't um, super solidified, but I think it's, it's more of something that uh, he has shown a capability of having. It's just about his confidence in it and doing it more routinely. Yeah. Um, makes, makes sense to me. And, um, I should mention on uh, when that reporting first sort of came out around that time, December 13th, Jason Anderson of the SAC B put out something that the Kings hadn't engaged with the Pacers mm-hmm. in talks for Sabonis or Turner. Um, but obviously been a decent amount of time since then. Both teams have, um, I, I think, underwhelmed. There was a lot of reporting at the beginning of the year for Sacramento that it was like, oh, we're going to wait and see what we have when it comes to a certain amount of things. Um, I think we've seen, and uh, I, I could probably just leave it at that. Um yeah. And then there was a reporting that came out. I think it was either today, maybe it was yesterday, if I'm if I'm wrong about that. Um, Jake Fisher, a Bleacher Report, um, quote, Miles Turner appears the likeliest Indiana player to be traded before the deadline with a list of suitors that include Dallas, Minnesota, New York, Sacramento, Charlotte, and Portland. Um, and also says Toronto was also mentioned by several league personnel as a team to keep an eye on for Turner services. The Pacers asking price is said to include multiple first-round picks. Um what in your mind do the Pacers ideally get back from an archetype or, or if you feel like age is important or maybe draft capital, like to you, what is an ideal return for miles Turner? Just, just in general, no, no specific names, or if you have names in mind specifically that do stand out, that's great as well. But what, what sort of thing do you think would be most ideal for a returning package for Indiana? Honestly, I'm at the point where I think it's just going to be a young player and filler with maybe a second round pick or something like the uh, I saw that report today about first round picks, like two first round picks. And I, I was like, there's no way. Like, I don't think that there's a team in the NBA that's going to consider that. That's probably just them trying to um, you know, drive up what they can get. I personally think that's an idiotic negotiating tactic. It, it just annoys me if we're being frank, but um, I get it. It's whatever. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're going to get anything in that ballpark. Like, I really do think like, even just, I mean, cause so much has been mentioned with New York, um, in terms of his interest in being there reportedly mm-hmm. and their interest in trying to get him. Um, like if you get Obi top and, and, and seconds or something like that, like, I don't think it's perfect value back. I like Obi Toppin. I would personally not trade miles Turner for Obi Toppin, but given the situation and where it's at, I would, I'm at the point where I would do it. Like even with Sacramento, like, okay, Davion Mitchell filler and, and seconds. Like I would do that because I'm just D- at the state. Davion Mitchell I, and Buddy Heald. Are you uh, game? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Like I, I personally, like I'm higher on Buddy than I think most people are just because I don't think people quite understand how good of a shooter he is um, outside. Of, I, I know Sacramento can be a little bit tiring with Buddy, but um, he's a good player, man. Even if, you know, he, had, he definitely has warts, but um, I do think like maybe there's framework there with Sacramento. And I think a lot of people look at it too. And they're like, well, they have Rashawn Holmes. So why trade for miles Turner? I get it to a degree. I like Rashawn Holmes a lot, but he's a lot better offensively than he is defensively. And it's not that he's not a good defender or that he doesn't try. It's just, he's a very undersized center. He's limited as a rim protector. And for a team that uh, does not have good perimeter defense, hurts them a lot they don't have a rim protector like even we just saw in the other game um i was very bummed that the myers Cato hardly played last night but we just saw in like that game what i was like two or three nights ago um the myers played and that was like the first time it really felt like there was a legit rim protector on the floor this season for uh for the kings and it obviously wasn't perfect but like i think you saw what that could cover up to a degree um and obviously there are reasons why myers didn't play tonight he's not like fully ready for that but that's why it makes sense to even consider a Miles Turner trade, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think Holmes moves fairly well on the perimeter for a guy of his size. And yeah. and um, I'd be with, yeah, I'd be willing to start him with another big. I, I think it'd be really interesting. You know, if the weaknesses that you're going to talk about are um, or that exist are rebounding and rim protection as as like the primary things, then playing two bigs when I think that they still work on the offensive end um, could 
do a lot in solving that. And to me, like having so much, having these two really great initiators and playmakers in Fox and Halliburton, they can shoulder a primary amount of the offensive load to make up for having a, a little bit more of a defensive focused or and Rashawn Holmes is going to be really good on offense as a four and Turner would bring what he brought, what he does as well um, with maybe some sort of expansion to his game, whatever that could look like, as you've kind of said. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've thought that the idea of Turner and Holmes could look really intriguing. Um, I would absolutely move on from Davion for Miles Turner, um, but that's just personally where I'm at. I also do think that there's a chance that like Sacramento maybe ends up regretting moving on from Davion because I, I think there's been like little bits of everything from yeah, him. I've been but really encouraged by him this year. It's been it's been nice. Um, like the three point shooting, he he gets ignored from three right now. Like defenses aren't guarding him, mm-hmm. but it's also defenses aren't guarding most guys from three when it comes to Sacramento. Like they care about Buddy and they care about Harrison and Tyrese. And that is it. Um, After that, I do not care if you shoot. I'm just going to focus on not letting uh, Deer and Fox get to the rim. And so at at practice today, he was about kind of um, getting left alone or not the defense is not worrying about him that much. And he was like, you know, this, this happened at college as well. And um, there was just a point when I I started to make them regret that decision. And then from then on, it just, it kept going. And I think shooting is still a little bit of a question for him moving forward. Gentry also said today, he's not too worried about it. Like it's just a thing that some rookies are going to have to deal with, but there's been like little bits and pieces of everything from Davion. We've just Mm -hmm. yet to see a game where he puts it all together or multiple aspects really at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the potential is interesting there um, with something like a Davion Mitchell and, and Buddy Heald for Turner. Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised that you thought that that was somewhat in the ballpark or even like Davion and Harrison. I didn't quite look yet into like what Harrison and Carlisle's history was like. I know they were together on Dallas. I don't know. I didn't see any. I actually, yeah, I have no idea what their uh, what their relationship was like. Um I I can't I mean I don't know given the Tim McMahon piece from not too long ago I'm not sure it was great I don't I question what anybody's relationship with with Carlisle might be <laughs> like um but I'm at the stage too I don't know how you feel um but like I just don't know what Sacramento's answer is if they trade Harrison Barnes like I get that there's a lot of stuff there that's not perfect like he's not a very good defender for being honest he's pretty limited like he can in the right role I think he's a fine defender closer to average, but like just for how much they ask him to do or need him to do, he's right. not, not the guy defensively, but like they would miss so much offensively if they traded Harrison Barnes that, that miles can even come closer to returning for them. Um, So I don't know. Like, I think that would be like, to me, I just, I think I probably took it off the table just because I'm not sure that Sacramento should do it. Um, Or, or where are you at with that? Um, It's interesting because, I agree. Like moving Harrison, you immediately have a huge hole at that position. Yeah. I mean, you already have a <laughs> yeah. hole where you need another guy next to Harrison, uh, another wing just like him pretty much. Like I, I just wrote about him. I think it, I went up yesterday of like, he does everything that the Kings need. Um, but he's also not the guy that's going to fix the problems. Like I, I, mm. I think that he, like you're saying, like, I think the way that I would word it is like he can be a cog in a good defense, but he's not going to be the reason that a defense is improved. Um, And so I I think that if you're just looking at where is the valuable asset or piece that Sacramento can send out to get something significant in return, um, that Harrison is a guy that you just kind of have to look towards. Um, So like I, I get the hole there, but I just don't know that like, are they really doing anything that's making them that much better this year or the year after significantly enough where it's like, because once you get to next year, um, that's the last year of Barnes on his deal. And then he could just end up walking for nothing. And so to me, it's kind of just almost just feels like asset management of like, this is where your valuable piece that you're sending out um, that could potentially bring something back. So, I mean, if, I think if you can do buddy and, and Davion and, a second like I'd be more than happy to do that um also in that Jake Fisher 
piece today, by the way. Um, I should pull up the exact wording to make sure I have this right. Uh, Sacramento fielded offer strong offers for Barnes at last season's deadline, but there's optimism among rival front offices that the Kings will move him this go around. And uh, James Ham reported today or, or tweeted out something today. I, I think this may have been the first time that I've seen it like officially reported that uh, Boston last deadline was offering their 2021 first and some package, some combination of Neesmith, Langford, or Pritchard. Um, and, you know, that 16 pick turned into Shangoon, which I know a whole lot of people in Sacramento really loved. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, like we've seen him potentially be available. So while I understand that moving on from him does leave a hole, I, I just think that he is more of a guy that like you add when you already have these other aspects checked. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that Sacramento needs to prioritize checking these other boxes and finding people that are going to be different maker difference makers in different aspects. Um, So I I love Harrison. I I think he does a lot of things important, but if you get a guy like miles Turner, where it's like that is significantly helping your rim protection, then I, I just, tend to think that that's going to be a better piece to build around than um, than Harrison is when you're considering Fox and Halliburton. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, it, it's just, a, I mean, that's part of what uh, is so frustrating about the Kings. Like you have to do this whole mental calculus with, okay, well, if we do this, well, then we have to do this. And that's how I feel about the roster. Like it's not even that the roster is bad. It's not, it's not great, but there are intriguing guys on the roster. Like I, I mean, you, you know me. I think I tweet about the Kings more than any team in in, in the NBA, actually. And uh, like, they have at, a lot of intriguing M. Schindler guys. and the NBA. By the <laughs> there, way, there are like there's a lot of intriguing guys on the roster, but they a a lot of them can't be used conjunctively, and b when you're putting out your best lineups, almost none of them are capable of being good both ways because. So many of the guys are limited to what they can do on, on in one area. Like the closest big to putting everything together is Chimezie Metu, and he's a ways away from putting everything together. Like offensively, he's had oh, some nice flashes, but like he's not there fully defensively. Like it's just there's it, – every it, it feels like every time a lineup gets put out there, you're like, well, like – I mean, I was watching a possession earlier in the Lakers game, and like back-to-back possessions, Tyrese had awesome drives off stagger screens – only to pass the ball out to a wide open Mo Harkless who pump fakes himself out of an open three into a into a drive that goes nowhere and then takes a you know a, a three that becomes contested because he pumped out of it earlier on the next possession. It's like it's you're st- they're sti- they stifle so much of their own offense because they don't have guys who can actually continue advantages or even defensively, like if they are able to get stops at the point of attack, which rarely happens, they don't have people who can, uh, who can, uh, well, I mean, no, because even if they rotate backline properly, part of the issue is just you're, you're, the way that things are getting let up. It's just, it's, it's so frustrating, man. Like, uh, yeah, I'm sure you yes. have it, you have it worse and how much you see it, but yeah, it's a, yes. it's a lot. Yeah. You're either, I mean, the whole grouping of and Fox falls into this as well, but I, I kind of give him a pass because of he's usually the guy that's creating these advantages and has a nice mid range this year and and everything that De'Aaron does on the offensive end. Um, but any of the combination of Davion Mitchell, Chemezi Metu, Marvin Bagley, or Maurice Harkless are getting absolutely ignored by opposing defenses. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's just like there is, I think, what you mentioned of guys where it's like, what aspect of the game do you want to emphasize? And that's what we're going to put out there. And then that's probably the only real thing that they're doing. Like you want Chemezi Metu because he's probably the best shooter of that group. He's definitely confident from three. Um, yeah, he will take them, which is he, part of, I mean, will. that's part of it too, but yeah, he will. Um, and, and he's had some decent nights shooting from three. Like I think the potential is there. Um, but it's not coming to fruition, but he's out there for, for rebounding. And then it almost feels like Bagley um, kind of does that better um, of the rebounding and shooting, except he was a good corner shooter last year from three this year, especially these last few games, he does not seem to want to shoot from distance. Um, and and yeah. he's got a terrible inside, like a, 
control of the ball. It keeps his getting touches, ripped away from him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that thumb seems to be bothering him a lot too. It keeps getting, I mean, every time he goes down low and brings it low, it gets stripped away and it seems mm-hmm. like he's grabbing at that thumb. Um, yeah. So it's just a weird combination. And I think that they need guys that are going to be um, just different ma- difference makers in, in certain aspects. And I, I tend to think that Miles Turner is a really good complimentary guy um, for what Fox and Halliburton do on the offensive end. The team desperately needs rim protection. Um, and obviously, Miles does that at a great level. Um, I know we got to get you out of here. I want to talk about Demontis Sabonis really quick. Um, mm-hmm. The reason I didn't, and listeners are probably going to be pissed at me, is because everything says that there's probably a crazy asking price for Sabonis, and you see a lot of one or the other with Sabonis or Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just quickly, you would you be surprised if Sabonis was moved on from? Uh I'm I'm kind of at the point where I don't think anything should be off the table with the team. Um, but just given, you know, they I don't know how much things have changed um, since the reporting, which feels longer than a month ago. I think that was only about a month ago now. I'm like, you know, a week or two before Christmas. Um, like everything then was that they did no intention of a rebuild, more just, okay, let's uh, retool a little bit for, you know, the, the year after. Like we want to be competitive right away still just rebuilding, I mean, retooling the roster. Um, I went from, you know, where we were at at that point, I thought it was more of like, okay, maybe you're moving one or two starters and just try and maybe you get a little bit younger, you do a little bit to shift around and um, build to obviously be competitive, but to hit your peak or whatever, have your real window two or three years from now. That doesn't seem to be what they think. Um I, I mean, I, I have no idea where they're at, but if, if they're doing that, like I don't understand trading Domas because you're not getting a player back of equal caliber, um, which would make it a lot harder to be a competitive team. So um, I would imagine that Domas is most likely not going to get moved. Yeah. How do you feel about a Simmons Sabonis swap? I, I mean, that's what makes it so hard because like if you swap them, A, it just makes absolutely no sense for Philadelphia. Um, like Domas is a really good player. You could try and make some random high low shit work with them. Um, talent is talent, but at the same time, yeah, it just doesn't fit. It's not really doing anything. I like the idea. I mean, Ben Simmons is a really damn good player. Um, I would love to see him in Indiana. I just don't know. Like, I mean, like the proposed trade that, that John Hollinger put in the athletic was like Sabonis, TJ Warren and Chris Duarte. And I'm just like, and then his, not to totally shit on John Hollinger. He's not my favorite guy, but like he literally said you Simmons would finally be surrounded with shooters. And like, like we talked about earlier, this team is 28th and three point shooting with the guys mentioned up above. Where is this shooting coming from? Like, I don't, so it's just, it's yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, Indiana's in a similar position to Sacramento with how the roster is built right now. Um, like, I think I would look into it because I do think Simmons at his, at his best is probably a better player than Domas. But, like, there's a lot of stuff that's going on roster building-wise that's not seamless when, when adding somebody like that. So um, it's something I would consider. But in the framework that was provided uh, in that article, I would say no, probably not. Yeah. Understandable. Um, we'll do really quick hitters. I have a couple like fake trades. I, you don't have to laid out and see what you say. No worries. Okay, I appreciate you. Um, Indiana. I think it was Indiana, Minnesota, and Sacramento. I know Indiana. I, I know that those three. There may be another that I'm forgetting. Were mentioned as potential three team deals. Um, as often mentioned in correlation with Simmons. Um, and yeah, just working up something like I, I think the Kings having Sabonis alongside Tyrese and De'Aaron, especially like they similarly to, I think what you were saying earlier of um, Indiana trying to make more of their perimeter creators than the skill sets that they actually have. I think we saw a lot of um, specifically when Walton was around and I think Gentry's gone away from it a little bit of uh, wanting to create for Sacramento from their bigs on the elbows and they just don't have any, like, what I would say are above-average passing bigs. I think Nami Ishkita yeah. has some potential there, but obviously isn't a guy that you can implement with doing that right now. Um, I, I think Sabonis could be really interesting. But something like this where it's, um, you know, Ben Simmons and a 
2023 swap. I, I don't know if I did this right on trade NBA with how a swap works. Um, but then, you know, uh, Philly would be getting Buddy Heald and, and two first from the Kings and Karis LeVert as well. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I know that a lot of times when I do these, I think as most people that probably have a lot of focus on one team, it's, it's hard to, there's a lot of moments of underrating, overrating other aspects um, from various teams, but how off off base am I here with, um, yeah, the Kings getting Sabonis and sending out two first round picks with one swap and Buddy Heald and uh, the Pacers getting Ben Simmons, the Sixers getting Buddy Heald two firsts and Karis LeVert. Yeah, um, I do think the framework is kind of there um, in terms of like the Sixers and where how Daryl Morey has like the way that things have come out for right. him. I would imagine it's not enough for Philadelphia. Um, like I really do love the idea of Domas and Sacramento though. Like Domas and, and De'Aaron Fox together would be kind of awesome. Um, like I'm a part of it too, is like, I know you and I are like, I, I'm definitely higher on, on De'Aaron Fox and uh, some of our friends that are more national media. Like I, I think the way people talk about the year in this year has been a little much for me. Like he's Hell a yes, really good Mark. player in an extremely poor environment. Um, Hell yes, Mark. <laughs> we cannot forget about like we cannot forget about what he just did last year. Like he was incredible last year. The defense, like the defense, is a legitimate problem. I've been very open and honest about that, and plan to be moving forward until it's better again because he did not used to be this bad. Um, but like you, you just cannot get players with his. Saying potential is almost unfair because he's already shown it. Like there aren't guys who get to the rim like that. That's aren't just like total negatives as passers. Like he is kind of regressed as a passer this year, but I think part of that's been the roster and just everything with Luke too. And I mean, obviously the he's being used differently now too, which factors in, but yeah, like they've gotten a little bit better at trying to figure out how to use his movement and and his speed because he's probably the fastest player in the NBA like imagining that around elbow actions and just more corner offense stuff with Domas as a passer. Like, I mean, Domas would easily be the best passer that, that the Aaron's ever played with. So that would be amazing. So how crazy am I for a, that one is not going to do it. (laughs) I'm uh, looking at it right now. There's a lot of firsts. Um, just, that's all it is. It's a whole lot of firsts. Yeah. Like I, I, (laughs) Part of this is I'm optimistic about everything, I guess. Uh, but I mean, Marvin has shown some really good flashes this year. Like he, this has been like probably like defensively has been the best year of his career. Still not good, but like by by the way, for, for anybody not watching the trade, sorry to interrupt oh, you. Yeah, is, no, you're good. I, I didn't realize until a second ago. Uh, the trade is Marvin Bagley, Davion Mitchell, 2023 first rounder, or sorry, 2022 first rounder, 2024 first rounder, and then a 2023 swap for Sabonis. So really th- uh, two firsts in a swap with Davion Mitchell for Sabonis and then however you feel about Bagley. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that one that probably does not do it for uh, for Sabonis. Does it change honest, anything but... if this is Buddy or Harrison instead of Marvin? Probably not, okay. honestly. I think, think it's so. just hard because I think with Domas, like you either have to get a really good young player back and not to – shaft avion but like he hasn't shown that yet um so i probably not yeah um this was um i think you know we kind of already talked about uh this sort of trade layout and i I was surprised that uh by your response to this i I thought that uh, and this being buddy heel davion mitchell for miles turner um and then i had to throw in a little bit more just to make salaries work as well with some finagling there um i was surprised you you said you were somewhat open to that right? i am pro that yeah like anything like if you're getting back a, a quality role player who can spot start and a young prospect that's like oh yeah let's do it let's make it happen i would, I would absolutely make that happen um and then say that yeah i mean if it was harrison would you do harrison barnes for mile turner straight up uh i'm trying to think like i think value wise that's probably close like Miles is probably a little bit better of a player than than Harrison, but Harrison fits the position of need. The salaries match. Like he's a starter, it makes sense. But also, like I just him and Domas together would be very rough. Um, I th- like especially like I, you could make it work if you had guys at the point of attack. The Pacers do not have that. Like the Pacers' point of attack defense has been almost as bad as the Kings over the last month or two. Um. 
So, I mean, we've seen yeah. Harrison's deficiencies being asked to cover up that. That's not happening in Indiana. So, no, I, I think that one would be tougher. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and then this, if if the idea was that the main thing the Kings are sending out is, is Harrison Barnes, um, it's interesting. Like, I've heard some Bulls people say that they'd be somewhat interested in Harrison Barnes. I think he makes sense. It's just about what are they sending out. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, what do you think about the main return for Miles Turner? Um, I, I mean, depends how you feel about like Bagley, Derek Jones Jr. But if I don't know, I, the main return being Kobe White, like, what do you what do you make of that from Indiana's point of view? I mean, Kobe's looked awesome in Chicago, um, so I think there's like framework there. Um, it's I think it would be more about what does. Um, it's probably more on the what's the direction of the team because Adam Kobe's interesting, but they already have a lot of ball handlers there. And I imagine like I would almost I think I can't remember who reported this. Somebody said like probably two weeks ago, something like that, that Karis was the most likely pacer to get traded. Like if anything, I think it was it actually might have been Brian Windhorse on the Hoop Collective. And based on everything I have seen and heard, like stuff I cannot necessarily mention. I would agree with that. Um, so I think like just imagining that Karras gets traded in the background there too. Um, I think there's framework there because Kobe is really interesting. I think Marvin's at the point where I would consider him like not a positive or a negative asset, but just like neutral. Like he's a flyer. And Derek Jones doesn't uh, I mean, he's he's fine, but he's out for I think a month and a half now after he had a pretty rad injury last night. Luckily, it was not worse. But um, yeah. I mean, I think the Bulls should consider Harrison Barnes for sure. He would help them. Like I think that there's framework there. Maybe like some picks that go to Indiana too, like right. just second rounders. Like I don't think you get a first with that, but I think yeah. there's something there. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that it's interesting. I, I think that Sacramento would greatly benefit from obviously either one of those guys, no matter what it took to give up. I think any of Buddy Harrison, um, Bagley, Davion picks could be on the table. Like I, I think that keeping Tyrese and De'Aaron obviously is, is the way that I would move forward with any of this um, for the sake of the people that want to know. I, I don't know that I would do this, Um Fox for Sabonis. I would take that. Um, I think I would take that if I'm Indiana. Just given um, given where they're at with everything, um, I would consider it. Like, I'm not sure if others would. That's probably me being so high on Fox um, because I – Yeah. Yeah. I think it, like, it's hard for me yeah. too. It's one of those where I'm like, do I have to really think about this? Like, Yeah, that's what? one. Like, <laughs> I think for both sides, I'd just be like, do I really want to make this trade? But that's more because, like, I mean, I really enjoyed your article on uh, that, that you wrote over at the B. Um, congrats on getting the gig there. That's cool. Thank you, man. Um, but, like, I mean, I agree with you. I haven't really understood a lot of the reactions to, to Fox. I think when uh, when Tyrese kind of first had his takeover, I thought about it because, at least in my opinion, the first couple games when Hallie was handling more, it did not look great between him and Fox. Like, it was very uh, – it felt uncomfortable, like – felt very awkward in the half court. It's really evened out more. And like, now that I'm away from my shock reaction, I've like really thought about it. I'm like, I really like the idea of them moving forward together. I don't understand the idea of trading away a player who just had an incredible season has really bounced back after a bad first month. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that there's really any reason to consider trading either of Pally or Fox, unless you're getting some massive upgrade right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at too. I'm not 100 percent that they work together, but I think it's too early yeah, to say that exactly. they don't. It's definitely too and early to say. yeah, and I, and I don't think that the value for either one of those guys if is going to get worse with time or anything like that. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm surprised by how uh, like yeah, certainly by Turner for like Buddy and Davion, I would so quickly pull that trigger. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, being open to moving Sabonis too, like I think is is interesting. I think that both of these teams are going to have to, at least from what you've said, and then I know from Sacramento's point of view, like are going to have to make a move here soon by the deadline mm-hmm. at the very latest. Um, if and, 
if yeah, uh, if the Pacers do not make a move by the deadline, I'm writing a hit piece. I'll just be comp- I'm being completely blunt. A hit piece will. I will come make the if, same promise for the Kings. If the exact no same roster that. is standing on February 10th by the end of the trade deadline, expect worse because that just cannot happen. And I feel similarly about Sacramento. Yes. You'll get like Goga Batadze out of there, and that's that'll be the whole move. I mean, I hope for his sake, man. He's gotten absolutely <laughs> canned in, in an unfair way, but um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Mark. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, me, yeah, of course, anytime, man. And I think it's great for um, Kings fans and the, the fan base and, and myself as well to get a perspective of, of another team and kind of check in, especially as trade season's around the corner. And I think that that's, or I guess, kicking off here. Um, and I, I think that that is kind of going to be the primary uh, content that goes on at, at Kings Bulls here until, I don't know, at least for the next couple of weeks here, I got a couple of lined up. So um, anybody that's not following Mark, it's at M Schindler NBA on Twitter. And uh, I mentioned uh, all the work that you do earlier. There's basketball news, Fear the Sword, um, your pod at Any Cornrows. Uh, what else am I missing? Just a lot of freelance stuff. I, uh, I'm actually writing something uh, freelance on the Kings for a national publication that will be out next week. So, yeah, expect that um, because I, I figured, you know, I've watched them enough that I have to actually write something about them. So we're making it happen. There we go. All right. Uh, well, thanks again for coming on, Mark. And, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast. Uh, definitely check out all the great work going on at the Kings Herald um, and take a look at the Patreon there to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review and hear from us again in the next couple of days.